Nice to see you. I want to start off right now with a little kind of fill-in-the-blank exercise with you. So I'm going to say a phrase, and then it's going to end on a blank, and I want to see if you can shout out what it is. All right, let's see how you do. All right, the first one is every action has an opposite or equal. Nice. All right, well done. All right, let's try another one. What you put in is what you get. Nice, two for two, well done. All right, now this last one is from Sophocles. So unless you're really into ancient Greek plays, you might not get this, but let's see who among us. Here we go. Success is dependent on, did anyone say effort? Yay, no prizes, but way to go. All right, now what I want you to do is you look at these, turn to somebody next to you and tell them, what do you think these three phrases have in common? What are they trying to teach us? Real quick, I'll give you a second. Turn to one another and say. All right. Now, I am assuming you said something like they all have to do with, like, what the outcome is has to do with the results, right? Or some level of what you put into something is what you get out. In other words, if I put a lot of something in, I should get a lot out. It is predictable. It's a little formulaic, right? And it is controllable. So no wonder most of us adhere to this kind of philosophy when it comes to how we live our lives. We believe that if we work hard, we can have a good life, right? If we diligently and consistently do what we're supposed to do, then it will work out good for us. And that's pretty straightforward. And and there's something comforting knowing that what I put in is what I get out. If I plant and water a seed, I get a flower. If I put a, a dollar a day in a jar, at the end I get a jar full of dollars, right? If I work hard, I will create a good life for myself. So what do we do when what we put in does not equal what we get out? I mean, have you ever worked really hard on something and it still failed, you know? I don't know if any of you ever watch uh, Cake Boss. Uh, He's a pastry chef named Buddy Velastro, and he makes these amazing cakes. I mean, they are works of art. Like, they don't even look like cakes. He's so talented, and he has quite the personality, if you've ever watched the show. He's based out of Hoboken, New Jersey, And he is everything that you want someone from Hoboken, New Jersey to be. Well, this cake he made for a a sweet 16 party, and they meticulously planned out every layer to represent different aspects of her life. And this cake, they planned it out. It took days to make, but it did not quite turn out like the cake boss wanted. Take a look at this. Let's go. I got it. Oh, watch, watch the door. I got it. I got it. Oh, you think it's heavy, man? All right, no problem. Danny. Danny. I got the board. What happened? You let go? You got the board, but not the cake. What happened? My brother is gonna kill you. You telling me? Bye. Are you all right? What did you do? This is for today. <laughs> you 
all saw that coming, right? And all you can do when that happens, like him, is say, what did you do? Right? We want our hard work and our honest work to be rewarded with a good outcome, a controllable outcome. But inevitably, things that are out of control, like a couple of yous dropping your cake down the stairs, are going to get in the way, right? I mean, we work hard. We can do exactly what we're supposed to do and want a certain outcome, and it can still go wrong, and it is so maddening. Solomon was one of the most famous kings of Israel, and he was known for a lot of things, most notably uh, his wisdom. Uh, he was known for his wealth. Uh, maybe a close third was he was known for having a thousand wives and concubines. We're not going to talk about that today because please. But he was a very extravagant man. He was like a go big or go home kind of guy, and he spent years working hard and building his wealth and building his reputation. And you would think with all of that work, he would have felt like it paid off. But instead, this is what he writes about all his hard work. Listen to this. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. And yet, they will have control over all the fruit of my toil, which I have poured in my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So he writes, my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night, how many of you can relate to this? Their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. And what's really clear in this passage is that Solomon is not getting out of life what he's putting into it. Instead of seeing from his good and meaningful work, good things come his way, he's in despair. And he's questioning, like, why am I even doing all this? It is not getting me anywhere. It's meaningless. You ever feel like that? Like no matter how much effort you put in, you cannot guarantee that the outcome will be what you want. Like you can work as hard as you can and still never get ahead financially. You can put time and energy into doing the best job that you can and it's still not enough. Or someone else comes along and messes it up, right? You ever had one of those jobs where you feel like a hamster on a wheel and it's just work, 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 but there's no payoff. And that, or you finally get ahead in one area and then another area of your life blows up and you're scrambling and you're trying to hold it all together and you are just hoping that something good will eventually come your way because of all your hard work. And I think that the reason we keep working so hard, even when we don't see results, is because we believe something that is actually not true. 
We believe that hard work equals a good life. We believe that we will eventually get there if we keep working. Most of us are holding on to this lie that says, if I work hard, good things will come my way. And we don't really want it to be a lie because if I can't work hard to guarantee a good life, how am I supposed to get a good life, right? At least if working gets me there, I can do that. I can control that and it'll feel worth it. Today, what I want to do together is dig into this very attractive lie and, and hopefully help you let go of it a little bit. And what we're going to learn today is that we can replace this lie with something that is true. And if you will stick with me, we will get to that truth. And I think you're going to like it a lot more than the lie. But for us to get there, we've got one thing that we have got to come to terms with. And we're going to look back at Solomon again and see what he teaches us about that. Ecclesiastes is one of the poetic books of the Old Testament. It's what we read from a few minutes ago. Solomon is credited with writing it. And his whole, the whole message in Ecclesiastes is like his philosophy of life. With all his wisdom, with all his experience, he shares what he has learned. The conclusions that he's come to about life. And this is what he says in chapter 9. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who don't. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. One more verse, verse 11. He says, the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. And ultimately, what Solomon is saying is that life is a mystery. And we cannot control how it plays out for us. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to those that don't work for it. Every one of us can face tragedy. And no matter how disciplined or wise or strategic or even righteous we are, we can't control how our lives will play out. I mean, listen, we live in a world where a ridiculously stupid TikTok video can go viral, give someone a platform of a million followers, and literally make them famous. Whereas, like, the most talented, hardworking whatever over here is always struggling to make ends meet. I mean, that's weird, right? That is our world. And if that is true, then there's only one conclusion, and it's this. No matter what I do... I can't control what will come my way in life. I want us to say that out loud together. Let's read it out loud. Ready? No matter what I do, I can't control what will come my way in life. So, if we admit that good things can happen to any kind of person and bad things can happen to any kind of person and we can't control what comes our way, then we have to acknowledge that being a good person or working hard does not automatically result in a good life. 
And so we've got to shift our thinking away from what I put in is what I'll get out and move toward a new kind of thinking that says, what do I do with what does come my way? What do I do with what does come my way? It's a shift from being controlling and trying to expect from, to being receptive and being flexible and equipping ourselves to prepare for whatever comes our way. And Solomon has great advice on how to do that, how to let go of the lie that my effort will pay off in a good life and instead be able to live into this truth that we're going to discover. And so going back to Ecclesiastes, he's talking all about how work did not satisfy him, and he calls it meaningless. In fact, he says the word meaningless 38 times in a pretty short book. And he has explained that both good and bad happens to all people regardless how they live their lives. And so then he says this, and this is his big advice. So I commend the enjoyment of life. The enjoyment of life. He says because there is nothing better for a person to do under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. And then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of life that God has given them under the sun. He says, I commend the enjoyment of life. His wisdom for us is, is very simple. You know, if you, if you can't control it and you don't know what's coming, your best strategy is to enjoy the stuff you can while you can. He says, get the most enjoyment out of life. Eat good food. Do fun things. Hang out with people who like to eat good food and do fun things. Focus on the parts of your life that bring you joy because that is what you can control, what you focus on, right? Now, I want to stop right there because it sounds a little too simplistic, doesn't it? Like, it sounds like something you would hang on your wall that you got from Hobby Lobby, like, you know, live, laugh, love, or, you know, dance like no one's watching, or enjoy life, right? I mean, it just feels like it maybe is a little bit trite, uh, and it feels like maybe it's a little bit of, like, you're in denial. It's like, listen, the bad stuff's going to happen, but don't pay any attention to that. Just look over here at all the fun things and do that, right? But in truth, this advice is brilliant and it's actually very healthy and it is harder to do than you think see here's the thing being intentional about enjoying life is hard if it were easy we would not have the levels of anxiety and depression and stress that we have in our world I want to get back to that verse that we just read because there is some language there that I think is really important for us, and I don't want you to miss that. It says this, then joy will accompany them in their toil. And that Hebrew word there for toil, it means all the hard things of life, trouble, misery, pain, work, the kind of effort that wears you down and wears you out. In other words, he's saying, Soak in all the joyful parts of life because that is going to be what gets you through the tough parts, the toil. 
those things that we've established, that we have very little control over what they are and when they come, right? But there is this way that we can equip ourselves to face that toil so that when it comes, it does not overcome us. There's a different translation of this verse, and I want to put it up. Here's how it says. So I commended the pleasure, for there's nothing good for a person under the sun except to eat, drink, and be joyful. And then it says, and this will stand by him in his labor. And I like the language used there. It says that enjoyment will stand by you. And that phrase, stand by, one of the nuances of the meaning there is this, to borrow. And that means when you are in the hard times, you can borrow joy from the good times. That when you are intentional about soaking in every ounce of joy that you can when you get it, it will be like a, like a savings account of happiness that you can make withdrawals from when you need it, when your circumstances aren't good. It's saying that if you can gather up and store gladness when you can, that storehouse of gladness will carry you through the not-so-glad times. You know, as kids, we, we all knew how to play, right? I mean, that's, that is how we enjoyed life. We didn't even have to think about it. If there was a ball sitting there, we would go pick it up and start playing with it. Play was what we did everywhere we went all the time. It came second nature, right? And when kids face something challenging, like a real challenging thing, what do people say about kids? Kids are resilient, right? They say kids are resilient. That's because they know how to play. They have done so much playing that they have become experts at enjoyment. So when the tough things come their way, they're pretty good at borrowing from the enjoyment to get through the tough times. It's part of why they're so resilient. But for us as adults, we grew up, right? And we kind of grew out of that ability to just easily and readily enjoy what was right in front of us. And that is exactly what we've got to figure out to do. And it has everything to do with the truth that we're getting at today. The lie tells me that if I work hard, a good life will come my way. Well, here's the truth that can replace that lie. If I capture joy, I can thrive no matter what comes my way. If I am intentional about bringing in joy, storing up joy, then when the trouble comes, I will have enough to get through. If I practice that muscle of enjoyment and play, it will serve me well when the things I can't control come my way. I want to give you two ways today about how you can be more intentional about capturing joy because we can say that we want to do it and we want to live into that truth but it's hard to change our habits right so I want to talk about how we can do it and this first one I've already kind of been getting at the first one is this get back to playing now when I say play I mean anything you can do that you kind of like 
lose yourself in. And, and usually you don't really accomplish anything productive, right? But you're very focused, and it, that focus allows you to let go of the other things in your brain that are stressing you out. It's part of, part of what that relief is. Play is, is the thing that makes you lose track of time, and you want to kind of go back to it. So let me ask you, when was the last time you did something like that? Hopefully you got some of that time over the holidays, time to be not productive and not do anything that was getting you anywhere, right? A little bit purposeless is fun sometimes. How are you doing at regularly engaging in things like this? Because that is one of the ways that we can capture joy. I was speaking one time in Idaho, and usually when I go somewhere to speak, they have um, sort of an MC of the event, and part of their role is to kind of introduce me so that all the people that have to listen to me talk kind of know a little something about me. Well, when I went to Idaho, I got there early enough that I, the thing wasn't until the evening, but I was able to go to lunch with the director of the event and the woman who was going to be playing this part that would include introducing me. And so she, she kind of tried to be real intentional about, like, getting to know me so that she would know what to say, okay? And she was probably, like, in her 20s, real bubbly, and, and at one point she said, what are your hobbies? And I was all... And in my mind, I'm like, girl, I got two young kids, and when I'm not working here, I'm working at a church. I don't have time for hobbies. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, guys. And then, and then I just was like, oh, I don't really have any hobbies. And she's like, oh, okay. All right, so fast forward. Real judgy, though. She said it like kind of judgy. So fast forward to that night, and she's introducing me, and she's like, Sandra Coley, blah, 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 blah. And she goes, and her hobby is speaking. And I'm all like, does she know I'm getting paid to do this? Like, this is not, not really my hobby so much, but whatever. You know, I'll roll with it. Well, I, as I thought back on that, that, in, that exchange, it kind of bothered me that I didn't have any hobbies. You know, because I like to think, like, I'm a fun person. I don't, I don't take myself too seriously. I feel like I'm pretty good at kind of what we're talking about today. But I'm not really a hobby person. I mean, unless Netflix counts as a hobby, in which case, I have a lot of hobbies. But, but as I was preparing this week and researching about play, one of the things I realized, and it's where I think we get stuck sometimes, is that we have, we have this picture of what, like, play or fun or enjoyment is supposed to look like. You know, like, we see people doing extreme sports, and we're like, oh, I guess that's what fun is, but no thank you right? Well, here's the deal, though. We're all different in the way that we enjoy things, right? I mean, you might get the most enjoyment out of going camping. Somebody else might enjoy sitting in a cozy chair knitting a sweater. Someone else enjoys putzing around in their garden, taking a nap. Some people enjoy even watching a Niners playoff game. I don't know. There's all kinds of ways. So we've got to figure out, if we're going to get back to playing, You've got to figure out how you like to play. This week, I came across a bunch of different categories for how people experience play. And I thought it was so freeing because it helps us understand things that we might naturally be doing that we don't think of as intentionally capturing joy, 
but they are. And I want to spend a couple of minutes walking you through these different ways. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay attention to which one you can resonate with. And then if you're sitting next to somebody that you know pretty well and you see their style come up, like give them a little nudge, like this is, this is you, okay? We'll see how it goes. All right, this first type of person that likes to play in this way, this is called the joker. Now, this person, they, they always revolve around some kind of nonsense, like being silly, making jokes, playing practical jokes. This is me, okay? This, I love to make people laugh. Whatever I'm doing, I'm probably going to be silly about it. Uh, my kids are very sick of this. They're all just like, Mom, we get it. Shut up. Uh, but so this, this might be you. You just kind of like to have fun. You bring humor. You like don't take it too seriously, like to play jokes and make things light. You might be the joker. So that means the way you play is threaded throughout everything that you do, all right? This next one is called the kinesthete. This is like taking athlete and kinesthetic and putting them together. This is somebody who has fun by physically exerting themselves, playing sports or dancing or those kinds of things. So some of you might find that if you really know you're having fun and enjoying, if you get to push yourself. Anybody relating to that one? Okay. Um, now, the next one is called the explorer. This is somebody who just likes to explore and discover new things and new places and new food. They're always like up for whatever. This is the friend that anything you ask them to do, they're like, yes, yes, I'll do it because I just love to do new things. Um, our older daughter is like this. It can be 7 o'clock at night, and she'll be like, what are we doing today? And I'm like, I'm about to go put my pajamas on. I don't know what you're doing, but it's just this like, what's next? What's next? What can I experience? That might for you be a way that you play. This next one's kind of self-explanatory. It is the competitor. This is somebody who loves to play games and loves to win. Usually they're kind of a stickler about the rules because if you don't play it right, it doesn't count if you don't, you know, if you don't, if you win that way. Being competitive is just fun for this person. You probably know if this is you or just get, do the nudge. Don't forget the nudge to your friend. Okay, this next one is one that I never really thought of as play, but this is one called the director. This is somebody who finds it relaxing and enjoyable to plan fun things for other people, like putting together a fun day or a party or some kind of plan. For everyone else, the fun thing is what the plan is, but for this person, the fun part was being in charge and doing the plan. That could be a way that you play. The next one is the collector. Again, pretty self-explanatory, but this person enjoys the hunt. Like they want to gather and group things. They want to have the biggest and best collection. That's the fun thing for them. This week, I was hanging out with a friend of mine named Erin, and I didn't know this, but she is a collector. And you know what she collects? Tiny replicas of food. Yep, you heard that right. Tiny jars of pickles, tiny mac and cheese, tiny jello pudding, like the teenier the better. Why? I don't know. She thinks it's fun. I don't get it. But here's the thing. I don't have to get it. Like it just has to be fun for her, right? And then it's all good. All right, two more. The next one is the artist creator type. If you are a person who enjoys making things, 
then you're probably this type. Like anything you can think of, you can make it and you love doing it. We had our Christmas walkthrough last month and I was surrounded by these people. They are builders, they are artists, they are crafters, they are set designers, they are costume designers. People who see something in their mind and then like make it a thing, right? And they love spending hours on their craft and enjoying themselves, just getting lost in it. The last one is simply called the storyteller. And this is just someone who loves to live in their imagination. And they write stories, and they write songs, and they draw comics, and they draw other things. And they, maybe they like to express themselves. It's all about story. This person loves to read books and watch movies. They love to just engage in their imagination. And that is what fuels them. So let me ask you, were you able to see yourself in one of these ways? Maybe you've never really thought about this as play, but now I'm just going to officially give you permission. When you're at that garage sale and you're hunting for a tiny mac and cheese, that can count as play. When you're planning a day out or planning your kid's birthday party, that can be enjoyment. When you're out on the golf course, whatever. Because once you recognize it, you can be intentional about enjoying it, and you can make sure that that fills you up. So that when you get to the not-so-great time, the toil, you have that storehouse. Well, I told you I'd give you two ways to capture joy, and we have just a little bit of time left, so I'm going to make this one quick. Um, in a video, that video that we watched earlier, we saw two versions of the same person. One that was doing things serious, kind of just keeping it boring, doing the necessary work of life the way we all do. And the other was really intentional about finding ways to make that same experience more life-giving, like choosing to have fun in something that would otherwise be boring. Well, that version of a person is, gets to this second practice that I want to tell you about. And it is this, as much as you can, mix work and play. Mix in your play with your work. Because we can obviously find joy in the lighter parts of life and the parts that are kind of fun and easy, but we can also seek out joy right in the middle of our work. Warning, though, if you happen to work for Ford Motor Company, you might want to think twice before you do this. Uh, back in 1940, there was a man named John Gallo, and he was fired because, are you ready? Get this, and I quote, he was caught in the act of smiling. And it wasn't his first offense because you know what he was doing earlier? He was laughing with other fellows. Mm -hmm. And it slowed down the production line by 30 seconds. That was documented. And this is why he got fired because it went everything against a very strict work philosophy that Henry Ford had that said this, when we are at work, we ought to work. That's what I think his voice is like. When we're at play, we ought to play. And there is no use trying to mix the two. I think we can all agree Henry Ford made great cars. Probably you don't want him to be your life coach in this area, though. He was not good at mixing the two. How can you find ways, though, in your work, whatever work is for you, to find joy? After our Christmas walkthrough that I mentioned a few minutes ago, our staff had a lunch where we kind of celebrated, kind of like a Christmas party. And we had a little time after we ate, and one of us realized that we had some golf carts 
that we had borrowed or rented. Um, so they didn't, they weren't due back till the next day. So we were kind of like, you know, maybe what we could do is have a little golf cart race, you know, a little friendly competition. And so we divided up into teams. So some of us were drivers and some of us were cheering. And we came up with a relay race with three golf carts that went all around the parking lot, across by the driving range, over by Goodness Village, over the bridge, around the barn, and back all the way. All right, so we all got in our positions, and it was like, ready, set, go. Now, here's what you have to know about golf carts. You can just floor that thing, but it is only going to go as fast as it goes. So whoever can, like, jump out ahead first, they're pretty much going to stay in the lead the whole time. But we were cheering, and we were going, okay, so it was my turn. So I get in my golf cart, and I start the rounds. Now, Simone Brown is in front of me, and she's our, one of our kids' directors. She's in front of me quite a ways. Chris is right on my tail. And I'm thinking, like, there is no way I'm going to get ahead, but then this happens. So I go around the parking lot, I go over by the driving range, I go over by Goodness Field, I go over the bridge, and I get over to the barn, and guess what Simone was doing? She was going the wrong way around the barn. So when she passed me, I was like, you went the wrong way! And she's like, ah! And she turned and went the other way. Meanwhile, I went the right way, and I got ahead! So I was so excited, and Chris is like right behind me, and I'm just reveling like, I changed the position, I'm ahead! And I'm going, but here's what happened then. I was so excited about this move, I forgot the route. And then I just cut through the courtyard. And I was like, yeah, I'm ahead. And my whole team's over here, and they're like, no. And I'm like, yeah. And meanwhile, I get over there. Meanwhile, Chris goes the right way. I got penalized. It was a whole thing. After the whole thing was over, Chris is calling us all cheaters. My team's razzing me because I blew our lead. I think Simone was still, like, going around the barn. I don't know what she was doing. But here's what happened. I looked at one time, at one moment when all that was happening, and I looked around, and you know what we were all doing? We were just doubled over laughing. We were laughing hysterically, and it was simultaneously like the dumbest thing I've ever seen and the most beautiful thing, like racing golf carts. How dumb, and yet it was so fun, and it was so fun to do that with people that we work with. What are the ways that you're finding joy? That you're inserting joy with the people that you work with or you live with. How are you doing at mixing joy and play? And keep in mind, laughter is a good indicator of how you're doing. I hope you get a laugh with the people you work with and with the people that you live with. In fact, as we're thinking about how to live into this truth, pay attention to how much you're laughing. We're not going to be able to guarantee that only good things come our way, but we can nurture the good stuff when we have it. And it will make for a very satisfying life. Solomon had some very wise advice for us there. I want to close with this proverb that says this. The cheerful heart has a continual feast. If we can nurture a cheerful heart in us, our souls will not go hungry. We will take, we will thrive, we will overcome anything that comes our way. So as you go out this week, I want to encourage you to be cultivating a cheerful heart. Because that will sustain you no matter what.
So just stand with me as we close. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you are a God of joy and that you have created us to laugh and to be filled up by other people. God, that you have put us in a world where while it can be difficult, we also can find beauty and joy in it. And so I ask this week, God, that you would be showing us, pointing our faces in the direction of how we can nurture joy. Thank you for the people in our life who help us do this. God, I pray that as the stress of our duties and responsibilities weigh heavy on us, that we will also feel the freedom to just play and just exist and just revel in this beautiful life that you've given us. And go Niners. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll see you guys next week.